Hi, Tobias Carlisle here. I've launched a new firm called Acquirers Funds. We implement the Acquirers Multiple in a highly liquid, tax-efficient and capital-efficient way. If you'd like to learn more, go to acquirersfunds.com. All right, let's rock and roll. Let's I'm do fired it. up. <laughs> so am I. Let's go. I'm fired up. Let's go. Hi, I'm Tobias Carlisle. This is the Acquirers Podcast. When my special guest today was named by Investment News to the 40 under 40, they described him as having the soul of a teacher and the drive of an Olympian. He's the godfather of gratitude. He's got a brand new firm. We're going to talk about it right after this. Tobias Carlisle is the founder and principal of Acquires Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquires Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquires Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Tyrone Ross, how are you? I'm well, sir. Thank you for having me so much. I appreciate you. Extremely grateful for this opportunity. My absolute pleasure. So you've launched a new firm. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I will be building a consulting firm that is a registered RIA um, that will be focused on what I believe financial services will look like in the future um, in terms of a very flexible uh, business model and in terms of a focus on crypto assets, um, early stage startups, and then you know, the very basics of financial planning and investment management. So um, I'm super, super excited. As people know that follow me on Twitter, I kind of like to push boundaries a little bit. Um, and more importantly, what I want people to understand when they see 401, I'm so excited for people to see the rollout. Um, they're going to feel it. It's going to go right to your right to your gut and it is going to bounce to your heart and then it's going to go to your head and then the head is going to send a response to your hands to act. So I'm super inspired, man. I cannot wait. Um, and, and, you know, I just can't wait for the world to see it and join me on, on trying to push the boundaries and, and change what financial services looks like. That sounds great. You've done a lot of interesting things in your career, uh, both as, a, as, a, as an athlete and as a financial consultant. So let's just Let's just start off. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Olympic trials. I always say you're the fastest financial consultant <laughs> over 400 meters. <laughs> I will gladly accept that. Yeah, so I started running reluctantly um, at 13 years old. Um, I had a, a biology teacher who was like, you're going to run track. If not, I'll fail you. Right. So I went out for track. I hated it for two years. Long story short, when I was about 16, fell in love, deep, deep, deep in love. And the 96 Olympics were that year. And I watched Michael Johnson in the gold shoes. And I'm like, I want to do this. Right. And for the next 16 years, I dedicated my life to it. Um, and it's been it's provided more hurt um, than actual um, joy. But without that, um, I'm not here talking to you, which is amazing. Um, so 2004, I actually qualified for the Olympic trials. I ran 45.93, which at the time was it was a top I don't know 40 time in the, in the country, top 30 in the country, and I don't know where it ranked globally. So um, got accepted in, was on my way to the airport, um, 
had a friend who was on the committee and he called and he was like, where were you? Where are you rather? And I'm like, I'm on my way to the airport. And he's like, don't get on the plane, man. They didn't accept you. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you and the 28th guy had the same time. So they left you both out and he took 27. The most painful thing about that was every single year they took over 30. They took 30 or more. Um, so that was heartbreak, absolute heartbreak. Um, but being the type of individual that I am, I got back on the horse for 08. I'm working at a, a, a firm down on Wall Street, investor relations firm. I just started working on Wall Street in 06. So now I, you know, I got a good job and I'm doing well. And my job was fully supportive. They, they like, listen, if you crazy enough to train for the Olympics and work on Wall Street, then <laughs> so be it. Um, and uh, they gave me, I want to say, two, three months off before the, before the trials. Um, instead of me taking that time to rest and train and focus, I was overtraining, going nuts. I'm like, it has to happen. It has to happen. And I uh, ended up a half a second off the qualifier. Um, again, devastating to have to walk into an office full of people and tell them you failed. Um, but again, being who I am, I get back on the horse, uh, for 2012, um, where through 2012, I was going to be 32 years old. So I'm like, this is it, right? As you know, it doesn't, at least for runners, right? Um, it doesn't really happen after your mid to late thirties. So I'm like, this is the last hurrah. It has to happen now. And I went all in, exhausted all resources, drew down my bank account, everything, put everything in. And two weeks before the Olympic trials, I got a grade three tear of my groin. So um, it's tough, tough, man. Just talk, Yeah, yeah. Just talking about it is tough. It sucks that my dream is never going to come true. Um, but what's interesting now is I, if I had never dared as a 16-year-old to become an Olympian, all of the awesome things that I have and experience it now would have never happened. So like talking to you, the 40 or the 40, all this stuff, I always thought I would have had to be an Olympian to have that stuff. Right. But now it's happening without it. But that journey um, is, is a tough one. And to be frank, I'm not healed from it. I'm, I still I still deal with the ins and outs of, of mental illness and the depression of it not happening. But I would just encourage anybody out there that's experiencing something similar that if you persevere, if you endure, if you stay committed and you dedicate it and you start to give your life away. And that is one of the things that I started to do. I'm like, well, my dream isn't going to come true. Now what? I got to have to find new purpose. So I started to give my life away and all of my experiences. And now I'm being restored by people who are pouring into me and giving me kind words. So for anybody out there going through something similar, just endure, start to be grateful and take the focus off of yourself and then amazing things will happen. Do you feel that training for something like the Olympics has helped you in your professional life in the sense that you're used to putting in a lot of hours without seeing any uh, advancement, not being rewarded at all. And then you get you get one meet every few weeks or months or something where you get to see if you've yep. made any advancement or sometimes you go backwards. Yep, that's exactly it. You nailed it. That's exactly it. That's why I say athletes will always kick butt on Wall Street because we're used to doing all of that work for a small time frame, right? I train all week, for like literally four four years, your, your, your dream and track is separated by four years. So you have to put one day together for four years to run for 45 seconds. You know what I'm saying? So 44 seconds. So what I've, what, I, what I've brought to it, right? And I started working on Wall Street. You hear about hard work and the long hours and this and that. And I'm like, this isn't really hard, right? I, I can show you hard. 
Um, so I think that drive, that determination, being goal oriented, being able to push through adversity, um, and then also again being understanding planning, right? Und- understanding sticking to a plan through in and out. A lot of what financial advisors do, that again, this will come out. This is what four hundred one is about. That's what that story is. Is a lot of what we do as advisors is track is exemplary of that, right? So that's kind of what. I've brought to it and you hit the nail on the head. It's just a lot of work for a small moment in time and you have to be great when you get your shot. And you're still running now. I see you posting your uh, sweat face and uh, <laughs> are, you running for, are you still running 400s? I am still running 400s. So I, unfortunately with my schedule and everything, I can't compete as much as I want to. Um, but I, I can still get down to around a 48 second quarter, which is good for an old man. I'll be 40 in two weeks uh, next week, actually. So, yeah, I, um, I'm in really good shape and I'll still actively compete. Um, there's the U.S. has the uh, well, all countries have it. They have a master's um, division. that starts at 30 years old and go all the way up until you drop dead. But um, <laughs> and, you know, I'll have I'll have no problem going around the country beating up on other 40 year olds who can't break 60. <laughs> the the thing that I think that you're uh, probably best known for on Twitter is the crypto. So wh- why are you passionate about crypto? Passionate about crypto for what it means for uh, the underclass of people in this country that has been ignored forever. And a lot of people really don't understand where that comes from. One, I'm one of those people. I grew up in one of those households. We have an opportunity now to get these people the resources that they need to be financially included in a digital environment that it's it's moving at hyperspeed. It's less about the assets. And I don't even want to get into that, uh, Bitcoin. What I want to get into is the fact that this technology is going to pull people up and in. Now, what do I mean by that? I, I posted something yesterday where, you know, th- those that are considered unbanked are now it's, it's around 7%. I think with crypto, we can get that number to the low single digits. But now you're dealing with people that go from unbanked to underbanked, right? So 50% of the people in the South Bronx are unbanked. 17% of the people in Mississippi, right? You have 40 million people in this country that are considered working poor. What crypto is allowing people to do, and then you look at, again, I've changed my tune on it, but what Facebook is looking to do, this is all crypto is going to usher in. Our financial services industry hasn't innovated in 50 years, right? Japan has had a real-time payment system since 1973. We still don't have one, right? So this is what crypto is doing. It's giving our financial services industry and our financial payment rails competition. I don't care about talking about any of the assets. That's what this is about. Because now you have people who are impoverished and poor in rural communities um, and inner city communities that have access to a phone Now they can access banking through a phone. You have people who are close to DMVs and all these places with no identity. It's going to give them the ability to have identity. Now we're pulling more people up and it doesn't require uh, what what is the tax rate going to be or how we're going to tax the rich or how it doesn't. We don't need that. We just need better technology, better resources for these people to be able to bank themselves, to be able to save, to be able to invest. And that's the main thing. This is the first investment ever that you did not need a college degree. You didn't need a, a, a minimum. There was nothing. If you had a phone, you had access to the Internet, you could invest. Good, bad or indifferent. Feel how you want to feel about that. I'm here to open minds, not change them. But I think it was the first time where people in history 
could log right on and buy whatever asset it was. And here's the thing about this is what I tell people. I have been going around talking around this country for years trying to get black and brown people in this country to put money in the stock market. Half of the country doesn't own stock. It's a greater percentage of those of color who don't own stock, right? I believe upwards of 70% or so. There's so many people who dabbled in crypto and now want to hear about stock, now want to hear about bonds, now want to talk about financial planning, right? So I think these are the things that are super duper powerful. That's what crypto is about. It's not about what Buffett thinks. It's not about what the, the price target is or whether it's going to be used for coffee. It's not, by the way. It's not about that. What it's about is how this is going to allow people to get included in a system that has been exclusive for hundreds of years. So you gave me some homework before I talked to you today, and it was the yeah. Satoshi Nakamoto paper, the original paper on Bitcoin. I read it. I can't say I understood all of it, but there was some there are some ideas in it that I thought were very powerful. And one of them I think you were just touching on there is the disintermediation of the financial institutions like banks. How does that help uh, the people who can't access regular banking? Is it just because they can get access through the phone? Is that the is that what, what does it achieve that that banks haven't done previously? Great question. So one of the things that Right. The, 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 in, the, in the white paper, it mentions peer to peer electronic cash system, me to you without a bank. So now I don't have to worry about the bank saying, again, I need a certain amount of ID or there is a minimum or whatever the fees are. I don't make it. Right. So that's one part. The other part is the people who are lacking financial services now don't trust banks. Right. And they also realize that I may not have enough money to use a larger bank anyway. So we rather just stay unbanked or use payday loans or use check cashing places or the post office, right, where people go to get money orders and cash money orders, go to any inner city right now in this country on the weekends and you'll see that. It's a real thing. So that's what crypto allows. Now to this point where people don't realize, let's go all the way back to the 16th century, right, where slaves developed something called a susu, which we call it from, I come from a Caribbean background, some Hispanics call it a tanda. Um, people call it different things where there was a trustless system where Toby puts in 100, I put in 100, we get 10 other people to put in $100, there's a pot. We all take turns getting that pot, but it's trustless because I have to believe that you know I have to pay my rent and I know you have to pay your car note, so everybody has to put money in. Long story short, this has come down for centuries now. So if you go to any inner city community where there's a large Caribbean population, they use this because they can't use banks. So all Satoshi Nakamoto did, it's probably a group of people or whatever, was take that same idea and put cryptography and economics and finance and all these things behind it and make it a digital ledger, right? And a digital block chain that could be used for money. They created internet money, period, right? That's just what it is. So that's what this allows. So now what I'm trying to do when I get people to understand is, listen, white, black, Hispanic, whatever, you guys have been doing this in your own communities for centuries, right? Irish, whatever, right? Jews, the whole, the whole deal. But what now this technology is allowing you to do is be able to do that same thing from your phone to transfer value, right? And there's even startups now that are building that same 
um, infrastructure as Asusu, as I mentioned, um, on the blockchain right now. So that's really what it's about, to bypass the banking system and not have to worry about the fees, the overdrafts and things like that. Does your uh, appreciation of that function of crypto as a as a uh, type of digital susu is that the is that the correct term? Yeah, there you go. There you D- go. That's just, tweetable. <laughs> yeah, we, we need some of those. Uh, does that? So you're the first person in your family to graduate high school. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Through college you. as well, C- uh, Seton you. Hall. Well, yep, yep. Yep. I don't know. Again, I don't know if that's something to be proud of or not. I mean, I am, but it was a little when when I look back on it now, that is so destructive to a family being able to accumulate the ability to to financially service themselves and and be stable. But I am grateful that I've ended up where I've where I am because I've been able to learn and also help my family as well. But again, you got to understand I was 26 years old. I literally walked onto Wall Street. True story. I walked right past the New York Stock Exchange and didn't know what the hell it was. Right. So I knew nothing about stocks. I knew nothing about any of that. So, yes, I am super proud to be the first high school graduate. Someone has to break the curse. Right. And I'm glad I was able to do that. My niece now is the second um, to go on and and graduate college. So I'm extremely humbled and grateful for that. But me being the first to be exposed to this stuff has sent our family, set our family back a long time of being able to accumulate, you know, the, the right amount of assets to make sure that we're all stable. So. Yeah, that's um, that's my story for sure. And with the new firm, uh, you've got three focuses in the, the firm. You say startup, uh, startup mm-hmm. advising, crypto, mm-hmm. and uh, financial consulting. Yep, financial consulting. Yeah, basic basic financial consulting, investment management. Yep. So, who, how, what will your clients look like, and how how does it work? So they will a lot of a lot of my clients will follow me from my from my last um, my last firm. So they are young. (laughs) They are really young. They're high earners. They're tech native. They are tech natives. They're looking for a tech driven experience. They're looking for someone to say, am I doing this right? Right. Am I am I making the right decisions? And then the next step is. Again, right, my mentor always says there'll come a point in your life where you'll start to use money to buy back your time, right? And when they start to get to that point and comprehensive planning gets more robust, right, there'll be partnerships for that, and then you get into estate planning. Now, the majority of them will be large crypto holders. So the conversation then is again, they come to me with their portfolios already set, and I look at it sometimes like, oh my God, <laughs> why do you own that, right? But they don't care. <laughs> they don't care what I think. They're going to do it. Right. So they're just basically saying, like, I, I'm, I have a, a new prospect now that has a million dollar crypto portfolio, but he wants to look at cash reserves. He wants to look at how do I build, you know, how do I build wealth outside of crypto? Should I buy a home, pay down student loans? So crypto is just a hook, but it always gets back to traditional advice and traditional financial planning. Um, and that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what it's what it's going to be. So they'll be young. Um, and, and again, they're, they're looking for advice outside of the traditional investment. Like I have to drag them to the stock market. Um, so it'll be that. And then there'll be a B2B component as well, where I'm going out educating firms and advisors on crypto um, and things like that. So that's kind of what it'll look like on, on both sides. And this, what's the this, this startup advising? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So one of the things that I started to do in 2015 when I was at Merrill. So there's three things you don't do at Merrill Lynch. One, don't work with early stage startups. Two, 
you don't work with younger clients, and three, you don't be black. I was three for three. So, <laughs> so I had to get off the plantation. So I'm off the plantation now, and then what I realized was, I said, okay, well, this is where the business is going. So if I was to find a young founder that sold a company, that's working on a company, a couple things happened. One, no one wants to deal with a company at early stage at all. And what I realized was the most rudimentary advice you give them, their eyes get this big because nobody tells them this stuff, whether it's their personal finances or explaining to them, hey, this is the difference between a debt raise and an equity raise, right? This is the difference between fundraising and financing, right? Basic stuff to you and I, but to them, they're like, wait, 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 I need this. So I was like, all right, I'm on to something here. And they started to meld a little bit because I realized they started, they were, they were into crypto as well. So with the early stage startup advice, what I do is it's really early companies that are looking for an advisor, right? So in the startup world, they have advisors, but truly in the sense of being a registered advisor to give advice around what they're actually doing um, with building the capital structure of their company, term sheets, the cap table, um, you know, the marketing, the branding, how to actually go out and raise capital, right? You you come up in Wall Street like I did, right? Starting out cold calling, having to build a book. And one of the things that people don't realize is this, why it's such a seamless fit. There's a strong correlation between a startup and what we do as financial advisors, right? Strong correlation, but it fits. So I, I can, I let them know, listen, my clients are my LPs, right? I have to show performance. I have to go back to them and I, there's certain metrics that I have to hit. They have goals. Same thing like you. I have to raise capital. I need a pipeline. You need a pipeline. So it's a good fit. So what then, what I, what I want to do is almost create like an accelerator or incubator where you're not taking so much equity away from the, com- the company, um, but really helping them build and grow. And then as they scale the company and then as they have more complex and nuanced personal financial situations, you can help them. Right. You can you can eat with both hands, as my mother would say. So what's what's what's, (laughs) run that again? Run that past me again. You can eat with both hands. How's that work? Yeah, you can eat with both hands. Right. Which is not which is not advised in my mother's house, but it just means you're being greedy. <laughs> so I've, I've I've heard you tweet about uh, Mama Ross before, and uh, I I describe you as the godfather of gratitude because I think that more than anybody else, you sort of you pump out the the thanks, and uh, I think it's a great model, and I've tried to adopt it myself. I and I, I think you know for uh, for selfish reasons, I think I feel better as a result of doing it. So I just want to talk yep. a little bit about that philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. So it come it comes from this. It's twofold. It came in in two ways. So when when I was coming up, it was very difficult. Um, we were constantly evicted. You know, I, I always tell people I didn't have a permanent address come coming up. You know, we were classmates. I couldn't invite you over to my house because I didn't know where my house was. And not to get too into that, there's 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 conversations about that. But it was very different, difficult growing up. And through all those struggles and things that went wrong, my mother would always sing and she would always pray and she would always be happy. And I'm like, this is so aggravating. What is wrong with this woman? But she was trying to instill in us gratitude. And she would always say it could always be worse. Right. Somebody has it worse. And I was like, wow. And even the little that we had, she would make sure that we give to other people. And we make sure other people had no matter how bad our condition was. So it was instilled in me very young that no matter what you're going through, you be grateful for your condition. Whatever your condition is, be grateful for because it, it could be worse and be grateful because it doesn't last. It will change. 
So you, you should always outwardly express that. Second fold is 2012 to date was the worst year of my life, right? I, I, I was driven to the point of depression and ultimately, you know, you wanted to commit suicide. And then I realized, again, as I said, I started to give my life away. And then I started to just use this term, I appreciate you. And I, and I went on this gratitude. I did all 2013. I wrote thank you notes to anybody that had anything to do with my life. And I'm like, this is what I need to push. This is what I need to lead with. And then when I started to do that, I realized I started to feel better. I started to heal and things started to change. And that appreciate you is really it. it the story behind it is this is where it really started to stick to. Actually, I was actually with someone from FinTwit and they, they knew I used it on Twitter and they spent the day with me and they're like, oh, you really say this to everybody. I'm like, yeah, we were all foods or whatever. But it's the reaction that you get from people when they say, oh, man, well, thank you. Right. No one's ever said that to me. So you can pour into somebody's life by simply saying, I appreciate you. Thank you for bagging my groceries. Thank you for opening the door. Thank you for having me sharing your platform with me. Right. I appreciate you. And there was a, a I was in New York City and I was walking from a meeting. I was walking to uh, Penn Station. There was a homeless man and he asked me for money. And I walked by him and I'm like trying to feel it. And I always make sure I have cash on me when I'm in the city because I know people are going to ask. And I turned around. I'm like, listen, I don't have much. All I have is two dollars. And I grabbed his hand. And I said, I appreciate you. And I just got quiet and he stared at me and he started to cry. And he said, people throw money at me all the time. But no one has ever stopped me and said, I appreciate you. And at that moment, I'm like. The power in this is way beyond the words, right? So I, I push it. And then the beautiful thing now is that so many people are starting to adopt it. They DM me and like, listen, you know, I just, you know, uh, I, I opened this door for this lady and she said, I appreciate you. And it was, we had this conversation or whatever. So it's just, I'm blessed to be a blessing, man. And, and, I, and I'm so glad because again, right? I see some of your conversations on Twitter that you have. I mean, how how often are we going to talk about buybacks and PE ratios and low vol and factors? And all? First of all, I ain't that smart. Secondly, I, I think that if I can go this way, right, all of that is great. But all, all of those conversations you guys are having are allowing you to have a certain amount of privilege and access so that if I say, hey, guys, over here, here's an opportunity to use a lot of that knowledge and wealth and resources to help somebody – that's my job, not to add more to that conversation um, with in a 50 link thread that, you know, it's like you just, you know, you're, you're a fly on the wall at that point. So I'm glad it, it, it's having an effect on you and a lot of people, but that push will never stop. I think it needs to get greater. And I will say this, when I was started to get on Twitter, there was a lot of people, I read a lot of books. I, I you know, I don't own a television. All I do is read and I'll read all types of stuff. And I would go on Twitter to make sure these people were on there. And I would say, I loved your book or I loved your pot. And they wouldn't say thank you. And I'm like, well, how do I combat that? I'm, I'm, I'm not the type to publicly, oh, such and such didn't, you know, here's what I'll do. I'm going to push gratitude to make sure people start to say, all right, if someone reads my blog post or someone reads my book or they tweet, you know, a picture of me from a conference or whatever, thank you, because that is free marketing and it's just the right thing to do. And my mother always says this. You do it because it's the right thing to do, not because you're expecting something in return. And I had to center myself. I'm like, it's just the right thing to do. I can't expect people to be, you know, oh, you're welcome or whatever. I just need to do it because it's the right thing to do. And here we are. 
I think you undersell yourself a little bit on the expertise because I have seen your conversations about Libra. So can you just let's just change gears a little bit and talk about what it is, what initially attracted you to it and why now you're stepping away from it a little bit. Right. So what Libra is, is Facebook's attempt at what we discussed earlier was bringing more people into financial services, right? They have two point whatever the number is this week, billion people on their platform that they feel like they can bring into the financial system by creating basically a virtual dollar, which which is in the crypto circles is called a stable coin, right? Essentially. It's not a cryptocurrency, but right, what it is going to be backed by reserves, right? Different currencies, short term, you know, short term debt, things like that. Just before you go so too much further, just just, ex- just yeah. explain a stable coin for us. Right. So, so a stable coin is essentially a digital dollar. They build a stable coin to simply be an on ramp on on ramp onto the crypto system, the crypto economy. Um, as opposed to actual dollars, right? So is the idea it's not as so you, you, there's a lot of volatility in Bitcoin and and, and right. a lot of those cryptos. So it has less volatility because it's it's tied to the U.S. dollar or it's tied to something else. Is that how it exactly? Works? So the whole point is they're saying, well, we want to use people, allow people to use this for remittances, allow them to use it for payments, allow them to use it for transferring value in any capacity. It needs to be stable, right? It can't it can't be like Bitcoin at ten thousand today and then seven thousand next week, right? We don't want that, right? We don't want that whole Bitcoin pizza thing to happen again. So that's basically what stable coins were about. Um, and there's there's a few others in the market right now that are larger, but that's what Facebook was saying. Do we're going to create our own, right? Which is going to be called Libra. So that's basically what that is, and you'll be able to transact with it on all of their platforms. So that's basically what it is. The next step was they said, okay, well, we're going to have all of these partners, Uber, uh, Mercado Libre, Visa, the whole thing, right? We're going to have these these people are going to partner with us to allow us to get more people into that ecosystem. Now, I want to be very clear. Here's what people need to understand. There are wallets and digital money all over the place. Twitch, uh, TikTok, uh, actual Skype, right? We're on Skype now. You can have wallets here, your Apple wallet. This is a real thing. But Facebook is just saying, let's integrate that. We want to lead. They then said, now let's partner with nonprofits, Kiva being one, a few others, right? Um, to get proximate to people who can, you know, use these services and learn a little bit more on that side. So that's when I got excited. I'm like, oh, this is it, right? Now you get into the demographics. Seven out of 10 teenagers on Facebook come from families that make 30,000 or less, right? As I referenced before, the United Way said roughly 35 million families in this country, is, this country is working poor. Three million people with no identity, right? They're saying we want to give you identity, then we're going to give you banking, right? Some of the, some of the stats that I, that I said before about the different areas in the country that are underbanked. If you look at where Cash App, which Square and Cash App is having success, it's mainly in the South. I just got back from Charlotte. Cash App is a thing, right? It's so, and what Cash App is doing is giving people banking, banking accounts and then also allowing them to transfer value. So now just imagine a, a Facebook, which is essentially a small country, right? Or a medium-sized country with all of those people saying, now we're going to allow you to do all these things with us. 
And whether it's Uber, whether it's Apple, whether it's Amazon, everyone's trying to keep you in their ecosystem now so you don't have to go out for financial services, right? Uber Cash, the Uber credit card, right? The Uber app, so on and so forth. Everyone's doing it. So this is what Facebook was looking to do. I was super excited about that again because here is a company that is that battered reputation and all was basically jumping out front and saying, we'll do it, right? We're finally gonna pay attention to the people who are an underclass in this country and pull them into our financial system. I was all in, I was fighting with people. I did not care. I was like, this is it, shoot it, I'm dying on this hill. Long story short, when the hearings were going on, um, there was a bunch of us from crypto Twitter who were in a group chat that was broadcast live, shout out to Nathaniel Whitmore, and he was broadcasting it live and we were going back and forth on, on what was being said, watching it live and giving our commentary. And they asked Dave Marcus, who I love, brilliant, right? Super smart guy. They're, they are killing him. They're killing Facebook. They are eviscerating him live. Here's a chance for him in front of millions and millions of people, in front of our U.S. women, Cong women and congressmen to make a case in this country for the people that Facebook could help. And they asked him, give us some stats. And that's what that's what that was it. He was like, I don't have them. And at that moment, I'm like, oh, my worst fear is being confirmed. And, and listen, I'm a, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I really thought that they were being altruistic and noble in this cause. But at that point, I'm like, this is a not this is not about those people. It's about money. And I had to step away at that point because I, I am too dedicated and too committed and too purposeful for speaking to those people and being a voice for the voiceless. I can't align myself with somebody that had that opportunity and then fell flat. He whipped. Now, with that said, not saying I won't get back on the train, but for the time being, I had to step away because a lot of people, I feel like I have a strong voice with that community and people that know what I stand by. I couldn't align myself with it until a lot of those wrongs are corrected. And maybe he comes back and, and he has the data. But I'm like, and I rattled off in a group chat. I went, I went through like four threads of information. I'm like, how do I know this? Little dummy old me, I know this. But this smart, intelligent, highly educated man is in front of our government and don't know the stats of the people of who are underclass in this country who need him. Who are you doing this for? And I'm sure, again, AOC asked him questions. He could have brought up, well, 50% of the people in your district, right? The, 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 a few of the other Democrats were beating him over the head. The party of the people. You're the party of the people. How could you not support this? I get it. So that's kind of where, I, where I'm at with that. So we'll see what happens. Does it matter if the tool achieves the ends that you seek? Um, I, if, if they're if their heart's not in the right place? You know what? That's a good question. And I, I look at it this way, right? There are plenty of people that we've trusted, we've done business with, we broke bread with, and they went home and they beat their wife or they kicked the dog or they're, or they're, or they're doing something that doesn't align with our values and we just don't know. But they may have helped us in a time of need, right? So that's the just juxtaposition of life. So if it means that all of the partners are going to make a gazillion dollars, 
but there's a family in the South Bronx or Broward County or, or Compton that doesn't have to live how I lived, I'm all for it. But let's just be aware of who the goons are. I don't have any problem with that, right? You grow up in New Jersey, you always need to know where the goons are. They're there. You just need to know they're there. doesn't mean you don't go to the mall, or you don't get ice cream cones with your girlfriend. The goons are over there. We're staying here. Um, but everyone's allowed on the boardwalk. So I think so long as they see the purpose through, I won't be so mad. But now I think we need to be aware that the opportunity lies in understanding, which is why I need these people to understand what is going here with this technology and the people who want to take advantage of them so long as they don't know. On the flip side of that, you cannot tell me at some point there will be a lift from this that Facebook stock gets or whatever. Again, going back to the original uh, genesis of the conversation is a lot of these people don't even own equities, right? So we can pull more people in to get attention to this. And I've always said it. Do whatever you do. Whatever. Let's... If if, there, if there's a way to people to monetize it to make their lives better and they don't align with your values, but they can benefit from it to improve themselves. Again, that's just the juxtaposition of life. Wherever there's bad, there's always good. And where there's evil, right, that, you know, there's always prosperity. That's the balance, right? That's the juxtaposition of life. And it has to happen. So I, I honestly do hope it happens because there's a larger there's billions overseas. But right. But I, but I think we should start here within our own borders first. And if that means that a lot of people in these inner cities and rural communities and farmers and all these people can get better resources and help themselves, they can wear the clown hats and pat each other on the back in the, in the Hamptons for all I care. Let's just make sure people can eat. Uh, I, can see, I can see two arguments for it. One is uh, you don't want to put that much power in the hands of Facebook, which uh, you know, even if they had been really well behaved in the past, it's still scary to have one group that powerful that really you have no control over, particularly when yep. there's one guy who controls all of mm -hmm. all of Facebook. But on the other hand, uh, you know, Buffett's got this great line where he says, "The more uh, the guy talks about how honesty is, the tighter I grip my wallet." So whenever <laughs> yeah. I, whenever I hear some, you know, a company like Facebook or anybody saying that we're, we're doing all of these altruistic things. I always think, you know, where's the fish hook in this? Where's the, yep. what, what's in it for you? Like, what's the, so the fact that they were saying, we're just building this tool. We're not necessarily, you know, singling out any group of people who we're trying to help. But, you know, if the side effect even of it is that it does achieve an end that you're in support of, then, you know, I can see cautiously being cautiously supportive of something like that. I, yep. I, I don't I don't understand enough about it to have an opinion. I'm just I'm just trying to think through it and, and talk it through. Right. And and to that to your point about them having so much control, one of the congressmen asked, he said he pulled out a twenty dollar bill. He said, anyone could use this. Anybody. Good, bad, ugly, tall, short, fat, skinny, anybody. Are you gonna allow the um, the, the Milo um, Yiannopoulos or whatever, all these different people who are banned on your platform now, could they use Libra? And he couldn't answer. And I'm like, oh, God, right? So again, they could keep people off, right? Um, so that that part of and, and and to be fair, again, I didn't even think about that. I'm thinking about these people. I'm not even thinking about the fact that what if these people are people who they now say they want to exclude because they're in 
you know, Biloxi or they're in Newark or they're, you know, they're in uh, uh, Rochester, wherever. Right. Um, that part of it, I didn't think about when he said that. I'm like, all right, there's a censorship issue here. So, yeah, very, very powerful what you stated. It does also seem to be uh, against the philosophy of crypto in the sense that, I mean, when I read that paper, the the very first paragraph or the, the summary and then the very first paragraph of the of the whole paper they talk mm-hmm. about the the fact that it's decentralized and right this is this is definitely not a decentralized yeah. <laughs> so yeah. is, there, is there is there anything out there that is equivalent that is decentralized is that just are we just talking crypto then are we just talking bitcoin mm-hmm. ethereum yeah, yeah, you're talking, you're talking Bitcoin, and, and they now to be clear, they did say they want to move to to a more decentralized type of platform. It is open source, meaning that anyone could work on it, right? Like the internet, it's open source, so that part is good. So they did say they want to migrate to that, which is great. But there will always be the overseer, right? The evil overseer. But if you're really talking about truly decentralized. No marketing team, no humans involved or whatever. The conversation ends and begins with Bitcoin. Done. Um, that's just what it is. So just uh, I was reading, I did a bit of research around uh, the paper after you, after you sent it to me and I read it. And so there's, there's the Wikipedia page is kind of interesting because they talk about the potential, the people who could be Satoshi Nakatomi. Mm-hmm. Have, you, have you dug into that at all? I have. So I believe I follow a few of them um, on Twitter and I think a lot of them are out there. There's there's some that obviously will will tell you right. Nick Zabo, um, Adam Bank, a few of those guys were highly involved um, with, you know, the beginning of Bitcoin and, and they call them, um, you know, crypto OGs. The, what was disappointing is that crypto Twitter didn't know that OG stood for original gangster. But whatever. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other story. It's a young. But, uh, yeah, way too young, way too young. But so, yeah, there, there are some guys that are that are out there that, that you know, you can look it up and see, especially Nick Zabo, um, who was involved with the beginning of it in, in eCash and um, David Chalm is another. So um, smart contracts. Right. Nick Zabo was really, really big in that area. So a lot of that. Um, they're, they're out there and they make them, they make Jason, Jameson Lop is another one. A few, a few guys that I follow on Twitter, super smart, incredibly intelligent. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that it was more than one person. I could be wrong. Uh, I just don't think it was one dude. I think it was a bunch of people involved. Um, Hal Finney's another who's, who's no longer with us, but there's a bunch of people involved that any, and again, when you look at, Again, I I probably I have one hundredth of the intelligence that you have. But when I really sat with that and I'm like, this is kind of brilliant. Right? There's a lot of things involved here to get this thing to work where you have this beautiful system of every 10 minutes a block is produced and there will only be 21 million. The, the difficulty and the hash rates and all these things It's like what in the world? Right. It, it couldn't have been one person. Right. It couldn't have been one person. Just the, and, and even at the time it was released in 09, we know what was going on in 09. This is when this was introduced and it was pushed out to the world. So I think from the timing of it, what his purpose, you know, what, what his purpose was. And again, to be very clear, and I plan on putting this on Twitter at some point that will upset the Apple card a little bit. But what people need to understand is Bitcoin has never experienced a recession. It has never experienced a right. true overall bear market, all right, global downturn. 
So no one's talking about that. So again, it was started in the last one, right? And it has had all of the upside from, you know, the Fed printing and QE and all this, you know, this asset inflation. But what happens now when, which I think we're getting ever closer to, right? What does it do then? Because it's absolutely a speculative risk on asset. I mean, there's a chance it rallies through something like that, right? Yeah, there's a really good point. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of people are looking at it as, you know, being a put against the current financial system. And then in that environment, yeah, it, it could run. Um, and that's the thing. We don't know. We don't know how it would respond. Um, again, I think you you and I is, is just knowing right traditional finance will lead you to believe in a recession in a, in, a, in, a, in a large downturn. What are the first things to get sold? Right. Highly risky you know, uh, assets that people need right away to generate, um, you know, liquidity and you sell your Bitcoin, right? It's there. So we'll see. But I do think, right, it, it's in in terms of what you've seen, a, a lot of the commentary that has been coming out. Um, again, Ray Dalio just put out a really good piece and he ended with making a case for gold. You could easily take gold out and place Bitcoin in there and it, it makes just as much sense. Easier to carry than gold, gold coins. Yep, yep absolutely. 100%. I think just saw like some guys were trying to smuggle gold in. They had some in their anus and all types of stuff. Like, what is <laughs> Should this? have oh, stuck boy. it in Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah, like you guys didn't hear about Bitcoin? What are you doing? <laughs> I, I, one of the interesting things is I was digging through that Wikipedia entry on Satoshi. Um, you know, the, 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 like the conspiracy theories trying to figure out who he is are kind of interesting. Like they, yep. they say he's probably not Japanese because the times that he was working on it more closely align with uh, UK, UK, Britain mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, uh, the spelling that he uses is the, is the, UK, British, yep. mm-hmm. the British spelling yeah. and stuff. And then yeah. one, of the, one of the guys who they identified uh, or one of the people who they think is most likely has passed away in about 2014 or something like mm-hmm. that, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting that despite the fact that the founder has passed away, it continues on and it continues to be useful Maybe. and traded and yep. which kind of is a pretty strong yeah. argument for it. I would have yep. thought. Every, yeah. I mean, you know, people talk about the Lindy effect and things like that, but every day this thing survives, it gets stronger. Right. And I, I just posted something a little while ago that, um, you know, the 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 hash power and the security of the chain is even the blockchain is even more secure than it's ever been right super super secure so again there's a, there's a lot there's a lot that can happen here and i think look no further than the security of the bitcoin blockchain than microsoft saying that they're going to build their decentralized id on it stop right there i don't care how you feel stop right there and then you have satya nadella taking pictures with adam back stop right there do not tell me this thing doesn't have credibility right because they publicly went forward with those pictures and microsoft made an announcement we're doing this on the bitcoin blockchain so right this is it's worth it's worth paying attention to uh, you, you're you're a great evangelist for crypto and for uh, the impoverished. Uh, really appreciate spending time chatting to yeah. you, Tyrone. Yeah. Uh, if folks want to get in contact with you, just uh, let, tell them how they can find you and uh, and the name of your firm. Sure. So you can find me. So my website is Tyrone Ross. T y r o n e Ross. I o. Um, I do a lot of my ranting, well, all of my ranting on Twitter, uh, at TR401. Um, 
And again, you put my name in LinkedIn, you can find me there. I'm also on Instagram, Tyrun, T-Y-R-U-N, 401. Um, and the firm is 401. Um, I'm actually working on getting a website up and everything for that. But once that's up, if you go to my website again, TyronRoss.io, um, it will be there. And we'll, I cannot we'll link it in leave, the show notes. Yeah, link it in the show notes. But again, I, I want to make this very clear before we go. You have no idea what this means to me. I know the people that you have on here, people that I admire, people that I respect, people with really big brains, and you allowed my pea brain to come on here. Um, but what this means to me, what this means to my mentees, what it means to people who look, walk, talk, and act like me to be aligned with you, right? And, and, and men of your stature and your privilege to position people like myself to a larger audience, it means the absolute world to me, and you are to be commended for that. I absolutely appreciate you, and I'm humbled and grateful. Thank you. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Uh, I've learned a lot from you, so, uh, and I was very happy to learn a lot more today. Just, to, just before you go, what, what is the significance of 401? Great question. So 401 goes back to my sophomore year of high school. I, I tell it really quickly. It was a state championship meet. It was my first shot at winning a state title. It was 400 meters. I go to my high school coach's office and I'm like, you got to take me out this race. I'm not going to win. Put me in the hurdles or something because I qualified in 400 hurdles as well. And he's like, get out of my office. You're running the 400 and I'm sick all day. So our state meet used to be on a Wednesday night. Horrible timing. Why would you do that to kids? A Wednesday night. So that ruined that whole day of school for you. You're sick, nervous. So we go back to the, to the you know, he's like, the bus is at three o'clock, you know, Make sure you're on time. So we get out there. I get my stuff. I'm walking back to the bus, and he pulls me to the back of the school. And he goes, and I think I was ranked sixth or something. And he goes, you're going to win this race today, and I'm going to tell you why. And I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? In my head, I'm like, I have no shot. I know the guys that are in this race. He said, everybody in the race is going to run 400. You're going to run 401. And I've been living my life by that ever since one more rep one more call one more meeting one more step um so that's kind of that's kind of where it comes from and the cool thing is i literally won the race right at the line by a dip because i ran 401 so it was extremely prophetic i love that you gotta hit the line hard <laughs> i gotta do it gotta do it go to distance go to distance tyrone ross thank you so much thank you so much my man i appreciate you